It's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder, pastor of North Shore Vineyard. Hey, today on the podcast, we have part 12 of our series on the Gospel of John. And this message is entitled, King of All or Cosmic Bellhop. The title may sound a little strange, but it will become all clear as you listen. <laughs> Hey, we're coming up on the season of Lent, which for North Shore Vineyard means 40 days of faith. And this is something we've been doing since we started, which is just taking the season of Lent to uh, try some different things out in the spiritual life. So after Ash Wednesday, we'll be posting up daily readings, Monday through Friday, that you can, these are simple scripture readings that you can read to reflect on your own journey. It'll take about 10 to 15 minutes. And we also encourage people to try a tie group. A tie group is a three is enough group, which just simply means that you'll commit to getting together with two or three other people once a week, not to study the Bible, not to have a small group, but to just simply talk and pray. You can do this in about an hour, but many people have found that by simply being deliberate in that aspect of community, doing their faith with others, it has been uh, incredible. It's actually my favorite part of 40 Days of Faith. We'll be letting you know more details about that as it comes up. But for now, let's head to the talk. Downtown Covington, North Shore Vineyard Church. Thanks for listening. We're going to be continuing our series on the Gospel of John. We come to chapter 4, verse verse 43 today. And... um, I'll go ahead and read this out. I'm going to give a little commentary on these first couple of verses here just so you can, before I read it. Uh, as Penny talked about a couple of weeks ago, Jesus was heading from Jerusalem. He was heading to the, to the northern part of the country, which is where the Sea of Galilee is, the, the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, so Jesus likes the north shore. That was his hometown as well. So it's our, uh, got it. It's, that's right. <laughs> um, but he had been down in Jerusalem for Passover, and in Passover he caused a great ruckus when he went into the temple and turned over the, the tables and, and said this, this scandalous statement. Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it. And they're like, what is he? This temple's taken 60 years to get to this point. It's still one done. And Jesus was talking about himself. He was kind of foreshadowing the resurrection, but he, he certainly uh, made an impact on a lot of people. Now... They were traveling from Jerusalem back up to Galilee. They decided to go through Samaria. Now, as Penny said a couple of weeks ago, uh, I see we got Penny's fan club. Some members showed up today as well. Now, <laughs> uh, we're going to get Penny to speak here more often. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but as, as Penny was saying, most Jews, if they had to get from Jerusalem to Galilee, they would not go through Samaria. They, they, there was a lot of ethnic, religious issues there, division. But Jesus goes right through Samaria, and he, he meets the Samaritan woman at the well, introduces her to, to the kingdom of God. She jumps in. The whole village jumps in. They spend a few days there. And now we find Jesus making his way to Galilee, to his hometown. So that kind of just sets up the context a little bit as we head into these verses. So, verse 43. After two days... In Samaria, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that prophets have no honor in in their own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had all seen, they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had all 
they had also, for they also had been there. Now, now, real quickly, why had they been there? Because when Passover is going on, you leave your village and you go to Jerusalem. That's the place you celebrate it. So that's why the people from Galilee were there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in, at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servant met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. The father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. You know, in my family, uh, when it comes to family game night, one of our, my favorite games is Clue. Does anybody like playing Clue? I like Clue because I'm like, well, it's probably because I'm, I'm the champion at our house. I'm, I'm kind of undefeated. Oh, it's on? It's on? Okay. <laughs> Your house tonight. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I like solving, you know, clues and puzzles. Do we have any fans of the, <laughs> former fans of the show Lost? Yeah. Lost was all about clues. It, you know, I remember when the show first came out, I wasn't very interested, but a year later, you know, after recovering from a 24 addiction, you know, getting strung out on those DVDs for a while, I was like, I got to find some new show, and I, I got a hold of two seasons of Lost, and I was hooked. You know, it, it wasn't just a show about a drama on an island. You found out there's this whole sci-fi thing, and then it was like, there's all these theories out there. Is this, is this island like purgatory? Is it an alternate universe? Is it, you know, what is going on? And there were people online I, I, that I heard of. I'd never visited their... <laughs> never visited their message boards and stuff. But there were people who got so caught up in this show that they were coming up with elaborate theories. And I'm sure the writers of the show were just visiting these things and saying, oh, that's a good idea. We'll go that way with the story. I think Lost was actually just a big joke because when you get to the final finale, it's like you're as lost as you ever were. You know, it was, they strung you out for five years of watching advertisements and pouring your life into it. And then you're just as lost at the end as you were in the beginning. But I say that because I want to use two kind of, we're going to do, call them kind of modern parables to kind of illustrate what Jesus' text is getting at. I want you to imagine that, that you were on a treasure hunt. You'd been invited to participate in, in, in this hunt for some buried treasure, and it was put together by a group of people who you know, went into painstaking detail to craft riddles. That, that would give you clues to in successive order. So if you get the riddle figured out, you, you get to the first clue, and then it's got another riddle, and, and you keep on going on. Imagine that you're hunting for this treasure. You've got a group of people. You're solving the riddles. And then all of a sudden, you know, after getting a few clues down the road, there's another group of people that joins you. But they become distracted by the clues. They start thinking, wow, these are really well written. Uh, you realize some of this sounds like Shakespeare. It's a, and they, they actually start forming a club 
around the clues and comparing them and, and talking about the writing style. Or think about it this way. Say, uh, what's the mayor, Landrew, uh, New Orleans? Yeah. Landrew, okay. Uh, say Mayor Landrew, Mitch Landrew, has decided to come up with a new initiative to attract more tourists to New Orleans. And so part of this, he decides that he's going to commission some signs to be built. These aren't just going to be any ordinary signs. He's going to involve the the best craftsmen and artists from around New Orleans. It's going to be a collaborative effort. And and they go and they, they... carve these signs out of wood, you know, using expert detail, and then, then the artists come along and paint over them, and, and these things are a thing of beauty, and they, they begin sticking them up at, at different landmarks in New Orleans and in front of famous uh, restaurants like K. Paul's and Brennan's and, and, and even jazz places like Preservation Hall. Imagine a group of people that are coming to, to New Orleans for the first time, and they go down to Frenchman Street to uh, Snug Harbor Jazz Club, and they see the sign right out front, and they're just in awe of the sign. And they decide to just keep looking at the sign. They take pictures of the sign. They start talking to other people about the sign. And they're out there for a few hours, and then they go home. Occasionally, they would hear the music coming out of the club, but they just stayed with the sign the whole time. Then the next day, they go over to Commander's Palace. And in Commander's Palace, there's another magnificent hand-carved sign. And they just they start comparing it to the other sign. They start forming a group about it and talking about it, taking pictures, admiring the detail. Occasionally, they smell the, the food, you know, shrimp creole and stuff. That's a Homer Simpson moment for some of y'all. That's the only word you heard. Mmm, shrimp creole. <laughs> uh, they, they, they smell it occasionally coming out of there, but they never go in. See, these two analogies, I think, point to something that Jesus is getting in here. See, this passage ends with, with the phrase, this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming to, from Judea to Galilee. I think oftentimes when we look at the miracles of Jesus, we kind of look at them as kind of random acts of kindness. Like Jesus was just going around, he'd see a need, he would just take care of it. But oftentimes, Jesus doesn't refer to his miracles in any random sense. He calls them signs. These are signs, and these signs are pointing somewhere. The problem was that that in Jesus' day, there were people who were getting hung up on the clues, getting hung up on the signs, and they weren't going ahead to the reality (laughs) that the signs pointed to. Jesus, at one point, he would feed 5,000 people with a sack lunch. You know, he'd multiply five loaves of bread and a couple of fish and feed thousands of people. But shortly after that, all these crowds started showing up and Jesus had to say, why are you guys coming out here? You, you want lunch again? And they're, yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> they had partaken of the miracle, but they missed the fact that it was a sign pointing to the work of Jesus. Jesus is saying something with these miracles. He's not just doing random good things to to impress people. This actually says this was the second sign that Jesus did. If we go back into the miracle of turning water into wine, that was listed as the first sign in the Gospel of John. So Jesus is is doing signs. The first sign he does is, is creating like a hundred and 60, 180 gallons of wine at a wedding. And now we see Jesus healing someone. What do these signs point to? Well, they point to the reality of God's kingdom. His first miracle is at a wedding, and it points one day to the ultimate wedding feast, the ultimate party that God will have when when everything is reconciled to him. 
This points to the reality of the kingdom that it's it, the kingdom when it comes, people are healed, they're restored. But a lot of people miss these signs. You know, it's it's interesting that the this passage is is opened with a, a, a quote from Jesus where he says, uh, "Prophets have no honor in their own country." What does that mean? Well. What we find thus far in the Gospel of John, his, his home country is not hostile to him at all. They probably think, wow, that's pretty cool. But, but they're familiar with him. They knew Jesus when he was a child, when he was just hanging out in his dad's wood shop, you know, when he was just doing things that kids do. You know, maybe some of them had babysat Jesus when Mary had to go make groceries. But <laughs> it's, it's a new translation we're working on uh, of the New Testament. The <laughs> But they, they had seen Jesus growing up. They were familiar with him. And so when Jesus begins moving in power and stuff, they think, oh, that's cool. But they, they're too familiar with him. They can't see him as king. They see him as, oh, that's Joseph's son. He's just a little too normal. A lot of people miss what Jesus is doing because they're wanting Messiah who will provide miracles to order, order rather than moving to real faith, which can grasp Jesus' hidden identity. The Word become flesh. Think about it like this. The Word has become flesh, but people have gotten so caught up with the flesh that they've missed the Word. They've gotten so caught up with what Jesus is actually doing that they miss the point of why He's doing it. They miss the fact that these are not just things to do, good things, great things, but they're going somewhere. So I, I, I titled this message, is King of All or Cosmic Bellhop? <laughs> and, and I think this gets to the, the mentality because we still suffer with this this day. A lot of people want a God who is really like a genie in the bottle. All I got to do is, is, is offer a prayer and he answers it. I call Jesus up anytime I need something met. But Jesus is consistently, his ministry was about him being the Messiah. Now, I know the Messiah, Messiah is not a word you use every day. Here's what Messiah means. It was the one who would be king of Israel. The one who would set things right. The one who was anointed by God to really be king of all. When you see that word Christ, it actually means Messiah. It's not Jesus' last name. Jesus was continually showing people that he is king. And king is different from cosmic bellhop. So Jesus tells this man who wants his son healed, he says, You people, unless you see signs and wonders, you will never believe. When, when I read that, I, I, it's this kind of a, interesting passage to work with this week. When I first started reading it, I was like, wow, I, I, I'm not sure what's going on. It's, it, it seems as if Jesus is, is kind of aggravated with people, but then he goes on and, and heals the guy. What's going on here? Well, I think it's important to see that, that when this guy comes to Jesus, he asks Jesus to heal his son. He even asks Jesus to go with him so that his son will be healed. But Jesus just simply says, your son is healed, go. This guy has an opportunity at that moment to either complain until he can get Jesus to come with him, <laughs> to not believe, or to believe. And what's he do? He believes the word. He believes 
what Jesus was saying. And it says at the end of this thing, after his son was healed, that the man and his whole household believed in Jesus. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And that's the point. I think that... that what we see with this guy is he's not looking for Jesus to be a, a, a genie in a bottle or a cosmic bellhop. He's actually seen where the signs are pointing. He's embraced the reality of who Jesus is. His faith didn't happen because he saw Jesus' miracles, but rather because he heard Jesus' word. And this is an important thing because... When Jesus heals his son, he's got no evidence of it. It's not like he had a cell phone he could call back home. Is, is he doing better? He didn't get a text message. He, he didn't get an email. He had to go on a considerable journey to get home. He believed Jesus' word. When the word was confirmed by the actual healing taking place, at the same moment but a distance, he and his whole family believed. The word Jesus had spoken had become flesh. And we see this as a theme going, going throughout the book of John. The opening chapter of John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We see in this thing that when Jesus says the word, it impacts the flesh of this young man who is healed. See, this, this gets at one of the, the, the themes that we see a lot in the gospel of John is John will actually, Jesus actually says to a guy named Thomas at the end of the book, he says, uh, Thomas, you, you believe me because you've touched my hands and my side, but, but better are those who can believe me without seeing. Can we exercise faith in God even when we don't see the evidence right in front of us? Can we exercise faith in God when, when we don't see the signs? Can we still believe in God even when things in our life don't necessarily line up with what we think it ought to be like? You know, I, I realize in, in my uh, journey, I've, I've kind of been like those two parables. I've kind of got distracted by the signs at a number of occasions in my life. Has anybody got distracted by the signs before? Man, when I was a brand new Christian, when I first moved to Louisiana... I remember listening to AM radio and, and listening to some, some Christian programs on there. And if you're a new Christian, don't listen to AM radio. <laughs> I'm sure there's some good stuff out there, but there's a lot of really confused. It's like public access cable, you know. It's, uh <laughs> but there was one program that I really got into, and it, it, it probably scratched that same itch that the show Lost scratched. But it was a program that was always talking about the end times. And the, every day they would be talking about who, who they thought the Antichrist was and, and how you can find, um, you know, a symbolic representation of China and Russia and all these things from Ezekiel and Daniel and Revelations. And, and I, I would just listen to this thing every day. And I'm like, yeah, wow. But, you know, bit by bit, I began to see that my faith was starting to be characterized more and more by insecurity and fear. You know, I saw this program last night for the first time. I, I caught like five or ten minutes of it called Doomsday Preppers uh, on, on Discovery. <laughs> Discovery's like, they're, they're scratching the bottom of the bucket. Yeah. And they ran out of Louisiana, uh, crazy things, you know, swamp people and swamp pawn shops and swamp love. Uh, <laughs> 
But this show, Doomsday Preppers, it's all about people who believe the world's coming to an end. So they're spending all their time trying to, to prepare for the, the world ending. And so that I, this one lady was in Houston and probably in her mid-20s, and she was working out four hours a day so she could be fit, not for a race, but when the world comes to an end. So she, she could hike across Houston. They showed her like with a backpack. She was figuring out how long it took to get across Houston to her car that's hidden in the woods that she would get in and she could you know get another 300 miles down the road on that tank of gas. And then she had some, she was going to hide some fuel in the bushes. And, and like she had thought through all these things of how she's going to navigate all this at the end of the world. What's that? And then she told everybody, yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> good, good plan. <laughs> yes, yes. And yes, just north of Houston, there's a, you can take a left at the oak tree. Um, but her, what I got the sense of was just, just like me as an early Christian, her whole identity is built around fear. Her whole identity is built around um, you know, insecurity, that everything's going to fall apart. Certainly we can see, if you look at the book of Revelations, it does appear that, that things are probably going to get bad. But let me tell you the point of Revelations. Okay? This is my commentary. It's like half a page long. <laughs> I'm releasing a set of commentaries uh, on the Bible. The point of Revelations is that no matter how it looks, Jesus is king. That's it. And so to get hung up on trying to figure out all these things out and all that, is Prince Charles the Antichrist or Gorbachev or this or that? (laughs) You miss the point of it all. You're you're camping out at the signs, but you're missing that, that this was a letter written to churches that were being persecuted by the Roman Empire. And they were tempted to to think that God doesn't love us, that we're not doing this thing right because it looks so bad. People are getting killed. It's getting hard to be a Christian. And John was writing this letter to him that no matter what it looks like, no matter how much it looks like Caesar has won, he hasn't. Jesus is king, and he's got you. And if you hang on to him, he's going to get you through this. That's the point of it. Hopefully that will save you some time. I've also found in my journey, I, I, I spent a lot of time getting hung up on spiritual gifts. Now, I believe in spiritual gifts, okay? I'm not, I know there's some Christians who think that, oh, well, that stuff doesn't exist. No, I believe people get healed. We pray for people to be healed. There's people in my family who've been healed. I've experienced healing before. I believe in that. I believe that God heals people. I believe that, that God can speak to you. I don't believe that, that you can't hear God's voice. I really believe that you, you know, that's one thing why we're praying for, for these six people on your list. It's so we can actually, maybe God will share something with us that, that can break through into their lives and, and help them experience his presence. I believe in that. But there was a time years ago where I was going to a church that would, they would actually have meetings every week. Where they bring in heavy hitters, you know, from the spiritual world, uh, you know, people that were really gifted in healing or really gifted in, you know, prayer or prophetic stuff, and it was exciting. And I used to show up every Monday night, and I'm like, yeah, I hope somebody gives me a word, you know, tells me something. And at that same time, I also found that I was going from this gathering to this gathering, you know, this worship thing over here to this thing. And I was always looking for the next conference that was going to have the next amazing, spectacular move of God. The only problem is I would look at my own life and it wasn't that spectacular. <laughs> it didn't seem like those meetings. And, and I, was, I, I realized that I was starting to build my faith on these signs 
rather than on Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that these things weren't of God. I really believe God was moving in a lot of these things. But my problem is I was starting to, to camp out at the sign instead of moving to the destination which the signs were pointing. And one of the, the biggest things that I, I would say uh, one of the saddest things that I've seen in, in American Christianity is the, is the rise of the prosperity gospel. And I, I really, I, I, I don't call it gospel. I, to me, it's, it's, it's a heresy. I, I, don't, I don't believe it has anything to do with God because the whole thing of the prosperity gospel is you do this, you do this, and God will do this. It makes God out to be your cosmic bellhop. You are the center of the universe, and you matter to God. And, you're, it, and it fights against the notion that Jesus is saying that he's coming here to be the king. And I find that, that a lot of people get distracted on that, that, that they're looking so much to their own needs getting met that they fail to see Jesus as king. See, all throughout the New Testament, if somebody gets healed of a disease or somebody gets set free from an evil spirit or if somebody experiences water turning into wine, the point of all that wasn't so they could just go, wow, Jesus is validating my spirituality. He must be a big fan of me. (laughs) Well, the point was to move from that into his kingdom, (laughs) into experiencing his kingdom life. See, when we start building our faith on signs, our spirituality is up and down. And I, I lived that for so many years. Man, when, when the bills are all being paid, God must love me. You know, when, when everything's good in my marriage, oh, God, God's blessing me. The only sad part was when financial hard times came, oh, God's mad at me. Uh, when I'm having problems in my marriage, oh, it's God, God's, God's not on our side. When I get sick, oh, God's, God's cursing me. He's, he's punishing me for something. And so my spirituality was tied to, to results that I wanted rather than tied to Jesus being king. And I got to tell you, if you look, you look at any major figures that we look up to, heroes of, of faith in the Old Testament or the New Testament, you're going to find that it was not an easy road for them. I mean, one of my favorite guys from the Old Testament is David. David was anointed king as a young guy, while there was still a king on the throne. He spent about a decade of his life as a fugitive, on the run, sleeping in caves, just in, de- in fear for his life. But he never turned his back on God. He never thought, oh, God. I mean, maybe he thought sometimes. <laughs> it's in the Psalms. But, but he, he held on to the fact that God had him. That God was in control of his story. That God was going to have the last word. David developed a, a rich spirituality in the midst of trials. And it comes forth in the book of Psalms. If you read the Psalms, I, I, I don't think there's any doubt why they become the, the prayer book of the church. Because you can pray these things, not just when things are going good, but, but when you're in the midst of suffering and trial and people accusing you and talking bad about you. When you're in the midst of financial ruin, marriage problems, they mean something. Because David didn't just serve God when circumstances were good. He served him even in the hard times. He didn't attach his faith to his circumstances. 
but he attached his faith to, faith to God as king. I think the point of what these passages are about today and what we need to wrestle with is, are we camping out on the signs? Is our spirituality, do you find yourself here today where you're, 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 you're just so up and down with God thinking he loves you one day and maybe you got to stay away from him for a while? I used, to, I used to be my Christian journey. Like, as long as I'm doing great, God loves me. And if I'd screw up, then, oh, I better stay away from God for a few days, let him cool off, you know? And <laughs> it's silly thinking now, but I really thought like that. I really did. But what I found is that God loves me regardless. That God's with me. And God wants me to live as, as a child, uh, as his child, and as, as a person in his kingdom. I, I, I think in a couple of weeks we're going to do a, a message, a series of messages on, I, I really feel God's been putting this on my heart. What does it mean to be people living in the kingdom of God? What's that mean? Because I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. See, he's not calling us into a life of just asking him to meet our needs. He's calling us to step into his kingdom. What does it mean in your job to be a kingdom person? What's it mean in your marriage? What's it mean with your kids? What's it mean with people that are slandering you or betraying you? Do you just keep acting the way people in the world do? Do you keep just doing business the way people in the world do? Do you just keep operating by the kingdoms of this world? Or might we be a people who are moved by forgiveness, by humility, by love? People who are operating as if we got a different king. I want us to wrestle through that because I, I, I believe that's what God's calling us to. I, I believe that's one of the central themes of the, the whole New Testament is Jesus is king. And he's invited us to be people of his kingdom. When the world is embraced by God and His love, this happens so we that live in the present world, dark and corrupt as it now is, may learn to love in return the God who has loved us. See, so what we see in this miracle, what we see all throughout the Gospel of John, it's about the Word becoming flesh, God entering into our situation. And when we realize that and embrace that God, we become people who move in that same way to other people. We embrace them. We enter into their world. We become God's kingdom breaking into their lives. We become people of peace in the midst of chaos. Why don't you stand up?